בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוך השם, good to be in Aventura Isles, Aventura Isles it's called, Miami Isles, something, Florida. You know a lot of people in Florida watch the shiurim and they only discovered recently that we're in Florida. We're here for five years, it's like, wow, you're in Florida, wow, ברוך השם, I never knew. So, ברוך השם, it's good to be here, good that there's enough Yehudim, enough Jews that are not... Uh, tainted by the Avodah uh, Zarah country that we live in, unfortunately. Even though they welcome us, even though it's nice to be in America and have religious freedom, the reality is that it's, no Jew could ever call this home. Uh, and the reason why is because predominantly Avodah Zarah. And today, this, what they call a holiday, Halloween, what I didn't know growing up, what most Jews even to this day don't know, is that even though it's today it's all superficial costumes, throwing eggs at each other, you know, toilet paper all over the house, you know, things like that, just torturing each other as kids. In reality, the real source of Halloween is actually Abu Dazara. It's actually idolatry. And uh, a very, very horrible black magic type of idolatry that has a lot of tuma in it. And if you notice, today, maybe you're probably going to notice more next year than you will this year if you pay attention to it, there's a lot of strange things happen uh, during Halloween. Uh, a lot of fights in houses, a lot of uh, very, very strange negative things. And uh, part of the reason is because of all the tum'ah that's in the air from people that think that they're innocently celebrating some type of holiday because they're wearing a costume, but in reality, the source of the Abu Dazara is still alive and well, unfortunately. The saddest thing is seeing Jews celebrate it. You know, if the goyim celebrate it, that's one thing. But when a Jew celebrates and is excited about, you know, something that's against the Torah, it's very sad because it reminds us of how ignorant we are in this generation. The Arav Ovadia, Lava Shalom, in his last years, he said certain things that he never said before because usually what he really would folk wanted people to focus on is people learn Torah, follow halacha, and everything's going to be fine. Whether Mashiach arrives, or he arrives after, or now, it doesn't make a difference. Why? If you follow the basics, you're going to be fine anyway. So a lot of the supernatural things that he dealt with, he didn't disclose it. But there was one time that he mentioned that he had a dream, and he met the Mashiach. And Arav Mutsapi told the story, and he says that he met the Mashiach in his dream. And he asked the Mashiach, No, when are you coming? And the Mashiach says, I can't come. Because why not? We've been waiting for you 2,000 years. He says, There are still over 1 million children in Eretz Israel that do not know Kriyat Shema. Meaning the level of ignorance is so high at this stage, even in Eretz Israel, where the first language is Hebrew, that even there, they don't know Shema Israel, the very basic, basic, basic level of Jewish identification. In America, unfortunately, we're even worse. And part of the uh, things that we see today is that the ignorance is not necessarily just in the secular world, it's not just in the conservative or reform or any type of other 
heretical type of sect that broke off of the truth, but it's also the Orthodox world is very, very confused today. They don't know right, they don't know left. People are confused of how to act because we all try to be good people. We all try to be very, very friendly. And we forget that there's a pasuk in the Torah that says, En shalom, Hashem amal reshaim. There's no peace with reshaim. No peace. Hashem said it, not me, not your own event. Pasuk in the Torah. Why? Why no peace with Rashaim? You have a job as a Jew. You're supposed to serve Hashem Ibarach. That's your job. That's why you came to the world. You don't like your job? Too bad. That's your job. There's only two types of Jews. One that serves Hashem, one that doesn't. That's it. All the other names, conservative, reform, orthodox, open, closed, dog, cat, whatever you want to call it, it's all shtuyot. It's either you serve Hashem or you don't serve Hashem. Now, if you serve Hashem, it doesn't make a difference what people call you. They call you Orthodox, they call you uh, Optimus Prime. It doesn't make a difference. But if you don't serve Hashem, then it does matter. It does matter what they call you. Why? Because it depends why you don't serve Hashem. If you don't serve Hashem, because you're simply secular and ignorant, like I used to be most of my life, and you don't know better, and you simply don't care, and you simply are just making whatever rules fit, and you like, you do, whatever doesn't, you don't like, you don't do. That's one thing. But if you call yourself a conservative, or reform, or a construction, or open orthodox, or any of these types of heretical sects, then it's a serious problem. And the reason why is because by declaring that you're part of these organizations, these movements, if you will, you're openly declaring war against the Torah and Hashem Barach. Because you're saying by being part of these organizations, it's no different than someone that says, listen, uh, I'm part of Hamas. Yeah, but you know Hamas, their, 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 their whole uh, mission statement is to kill the Jews. Yeah, no, but I don't believe in it. What do you mean? But you're part of it. By p- being part of it, that means you believe in it. You testify that you want to kill Jews. By being part of a conservative organization, reform, reconstruction, open orthodoxy, or anything else in between, that means that by default, you agree with everything they do. So when they say that they're open and accepting of non-Jewish rabbis, meaning that the rabbi himself doesn't have to be Jewish, you agree with it. When they're accepting and open to the fact that the head of the conservative movement in Jerusalem is an openly gay guy, you're accepting of that. You're all for it. When another one that's very famous in America writes a letter and he says that Hashem made a mistake in the Torah. Hashem, Hashem made a mistake in the Torah because he said that it's not allowed to be a homosexual. He must not mean it. He must not mean it. He made a mistake. Hashem made a mistake. When someone is part of such organizations, whether they agree with everything or disagree with everything, by default, they're part of it. They're part of it. They're part of the enemies of Hashem. En shalom Hashem amar l'reshaim. You're not allowed to have shalom. What are you obligated to do? You're obligated to serve Hashem. 
Now, does that mean you've got to go start killing people? No, chas v'shalom. That's not what we're advocating here. We're not uh, psychopaths. But you cannot turn the rasha into a tzaddik just because he died. Somebody does not become a tzaddik overnight just because he died. Now, of course, you're going to mention the Gemara that says that Rabbi Hanina ben Dordia, he died, maybe Hashem said, welcome uh, Rabbi Dordia to Allah Abba. There's a very, very long explanation of who, what, when it actually happened, which I've said in previous Yurim. But in so many words, if you can cry yourself to death from tshuva, you can be like him too. But actually, not just cry until your eyes hurt, but cry until you die. If you can cry from tshuva until you die, you can be Rabbi Dodiai also. But until then, you cannot use that story. You cannot use that as a source. When someone signs up to one of these conservative or reform shuls, they need to understand that these organizations are behind the political movements to, first and foremost, make Brit Milah illegal in Israel and in America, especially in Israel. Recently in America, they tried to outlaw shechita, slaughtering. Without slaughtering, there's no kosher. If you cannot slaughter a cow or a chicken, there's no kosher anymore. That's it. From now on, all of you have to eat chocolate sandwiches. That's it. No, no kosher. No slaughtering, no kosher. They want to outlaw it. And they're still trying. So, and many, many other anti-Torah rules that they have and different political movements that they have, pro-abortion, and a lot of other things that are against the Torah. Most of all, they unanimously believe that the Torah is not from heaven. They unanimously believe that the oral Torah is not something to rely on. It's something dynamic that you can continue changing. You can change halakha. You can change laws. You could change anything you want. Like Legos. One day you build a transformer out of it. The next day it's a plane. The next day it's a house. The next day it's a farm. You use a Legos. And someone that takes the Torah and manipulates it in such a way is an enemy of Hashem. So to call such a person Kadosh, holy, because some psychopath murdered him, I'm sorry, my friends, this is against the Torah. This is against the Torah. Now there's much more to say about this topic and many others, but we'll continue with the Mishnah, but let's first start off with this question that you had. Maybe it has something to do with it. Um, mentioned last time, at the beginning of this year, was, was part of it was showing that we should take the message of what happened and try and apply it. Okay. Recently, sometimes, I think Hashem sends messages that are not as clear as that one should have been. Right. The example I saw in the Gemara was that uh, when David cut um, Afshal's coat, then he... Okay. Then, uh, then it was actually a tzitzit. tzitzit. right. And then, and then he said, and then he said um, Hashem, if you incite a show against me, please, uh, you know, answer my tefillah. And Hashem said, you call me an insider or whatever. You think I'm inciting a show against you? And then Hashem caused him to uh, forget a very simple halacha, and then he caused a plague to happen because he did a census without taking a shekel out of Ken. the camp. Ken. So that is a pretty obscure hint that you messed up, at least in my opinion. Hashem incited David to mess up in accounting. Right. Well, I mean, okay, so here's, here's the... Here's the uh, well, first and foremost, David and Melech had prophecy. Yeah. 
So when you have prophecy, you're on a different level of relationship with Hashem. You talk, Hashem answers. In different ways, different forms. Sometimes it's the, uh, you know, to a dream, a meditation. It could even be an epilepsy. It could be different ways of uh, speaking to Hashem. Only Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to Hashem, panim bel panim, which means he spoke to him like you and I are speaking to each other, openly, without preparing, without a mikveh, without anything. Hashem wanted to say something, he didn't need Moshe Rabbeinu to prepare. Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to say something, he didn't need anything to do to prepare to talk to Hashem. They spoke regularly. But every, everyone else, including David Melech, had to do certain things in order to prepare to talk to Hashem. Even Avram Avinu. The Rambam in Shmona Prakim talks about what is the difference in the level of prophecy between Moshe Rabbeinu and all of the other prophets that followed him. Because the Gemara in Masechet Megillah says we've had over 1.2 million prophets throughout our history. So what's the difference in the level of prophets? And the Rambam says it's all based on Midot. It's all based on character traits. The more perfect the human being became, the more humble he became, the more generous he became, the more of an Eved Hashem, a servant of Hashem the person became, the clearer the prophecy was, meaning that the more flaws he had, in comparison to us, they're all perfect, but in their levels, the more flaws each one of them had, each one of these flaws or deficiencies, if you will, was similar to like having a wall between them and Hashem. The bigger the flaw, the thicker the wall. And the Rambam says, I believe this is chapter 7 in the Shmona Prakim, that Moshe Rabbeinu reached the highest level, which was the equivalent of just having a piece of glass. A piece of glass between him and Hashem. And then he asked Hashem, Hashem, no, let, me, let me see your glory. And Hashem says, no, you reached the highest level. No man can get past this level that you got to and live. So David HaMelech in his level of prophecy, although it was very high, it's not like Moshe Rabbeinu, still he had different, much clearer messages than we do. We are not prophets. We don't pretend to be prophets. We're not sons of prophets. But you see Hashem through His Torah. The Chafetz Chaim, Allah Shalom, said once that people are willing to spend fortunes, fortunes to get good advice. Good advice when it matters. A big business deal, should I do it? A marriage, should I do it? All types of things. And Chafetz Chaim used to tell people all the time, you know, you could just ask God and he'll give you an answer. And people were always surprised, he said. How, how, how can I get God to give me the answer? He goes, just open the Torah. Just open the Torah, it's right there. Open the Torah, you learn enough Torah, you're going to get the answer. So, when a person learns an enormous amount of Torah, everything becomes clear to him. And the reason why is because Hashem gave us different things that He did. He showed us His midot. He showed us His character traits. He showed us His feelings, if you will. Not that He has feelings like us, but His feelings, if you will, in a way where He tells you, 
Hashem hates zima. Hashem hates immodesty. He says it. Balak, Bilam Arasha even taught us this. Hashem hates homosexuality. Hashem punishes the wicked. Hashem doesn't say shalom to the reshaim. And shalom to the reshaim. Anyone that is arrogant is considered disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. All these different psukim in the Torah that you see exactly what Hashem feels. Why? Because He Himself said it. So there's no guessing. There's no uh, theoretical. You don't have to be a prophet. You just have to be a chacham. And that's why the Gemara says a chacham is better than a prophet. A chacham is better than a prophet. Why is a chacham better than a prophet? Prophet, he gets a message from Hashem. Because sometimes the prophecy is wrong. Because the prophet misunderstood it. Or sometimes, sometimes, Hashem changes the prophecy. Because the prophecy doesn't have to come true. If it's a negative prophecy, Hashem says, if such and such happens, I'm going to punish. But then he decides, no, you know what, it happened, but something else happened that balanced it, I'm not going to punish. So he can undo what he said as a prophecy. If it's a negative prophecy. If it's a positive prophecy, he doesn't change it. With the exception of one time. Mama Sechet Shabbat talks about it where originally he was planning on saving the tzaddikim from the destruction of Bet HaMikdash, but the Midat Adin, the Yetzirah, came and says, listen, they're not tzaddikim. Why? They didn't rebuke people. They didn't tell them to stop driving on Shabbat. So Hashem says, oh, I planned originally on saving them, but now they're not even tzaddikim. Punish them first. Punish all the rabbis first. Which brings us to that original point that we started with, this whole thing about the situation, about what people are saying, unfortunately, Orthodox Jews, even Orthodox rabbis, are saying that if somebody dies because they're a Jew, they're automatically kadosh, and they're quoting the Rambam. And we said last night, this is a misquote of the Rambam. That's not what the Rambam says. The Rambam says that you have to die, not because you're a Jew, but you have to die because of the Torah. But there's even a better proof. There's even a better proof. What's the reason tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of Jews, according to the Midrash, it was hundreds of millions of Jews, died in the Bet HaMikdash? What's the reason? Now don't tell me Sinat Chinam. Don't tell me Avodah Zarah. I'm talking about what's the reason in the eyes of the Goim. Why did the Goim kill people in Bet HaMikdash? Why? They kill us because they didn't like our uh, Malawach. They kill us because they came for Shuama, it didn't taste good, they wanted to kill us. Why did they kill us? Because we're Jews. Have you ever seen a Midrash or Alakha or a Gemara that says that everyone that died in a better Mikdash is Kadosh? Have you ever seen such a thing? No. In fact, the opposite. We're saying many of them were Shaim. But they all died because they're Jews. They all died because only because they're Jews. No other reason. They all die because they're Jews. But how come we don't call them Kedoshim? How can we say, oh, it's Lashon Ara, oh, Avodah Zara, oh, Gilu'e Arayot. We mention their sins every year 500 times. How come we have no problem mentioning their sins? And we don't call them Kedoshim. They died on Kiddush Hashem. How come it was only Rabbi Akiva and his friends? Because that's the Halakha. If you died for the Torah, then you're Kadosh. If you die because you're a Jew, but you're Mechalot Shabbat, you are a uh, homosexual or some other type of sinner openly... There's nothing kadosh about you. There's nothing kadosh about you. You're an enemy of Hashem. Five minutes before he killed you, you want to be called kadosh now? He's the one that killed you. So this Abotai is the difference between emet and shekel. 
Shekel you can manipulate. Lies you can manipulate until there's no end. I saw it a lot in the business world. Unfortunately, I was surprised to see a lot more of it in a religious world. And a person needs to know what the truth is. Why? Because that's at least going to shed some type of light on which direction is the right one. Now this Mishnah and Avot that we started will continue giving us, shedding some more light on everything. Because people are asking questions about how come only a few people are zealous today. Only a few people are willing to tell the truth no matter what. Only a few people are saying the things that I just told you. And I'm not talking about only a few people in America or in Florida. I'm talking about a few people in the world. Why? Why are only a few people? Part of the reason is because most people are afraid of the outcome and the headache that comes with it. And I don't necessarily blame them for it. It is a very, very big headache to tell the truth. Especially when you're a public figure because there's consequence. There's immediate consequence for telling the truth. Whether it be money, whether it be community, whether it be all types of things that come with it. Yetzirah gets out of his chair to fight you. But even more so than that, a lot of people are mistaken to believe that since no one is perfect, you shouldn't rebuke. If you're not perfect, then you shouldn't tell anybody else to do tshuva. Because they read somewhere, and they mistranslated that as well, and they said, listen, you know, you sh- there's nobody in the generation to rebuke anymore. There's a Gemara that says that. 2,000 years ago, one of the Chachamim says, yeah, there's nobody in that generation to rebuke anymore. And everybody uses that Gemara. No one knows what Gemara is, but they use that Gemara. They say, oh, yeah, there's nobody in that generation to rebuke anymore, so you're not allowed to rebuke. Meaning they canceled out half the Torah. So what does this Gemara mean? It means that you shouldn't rebuke on things you're weak in, that you can't do. If you're not keeping Shabbat, don't go talking to people and giving them Musa about keeping Shabbat. Why? It's it's, it's Chilu Hashem. If you're an angry person and you don't know how to control your anger at all, don't go start giving people lectures about how to, how to calm yourself down. You don't know yourself. Don't be one of these fat people giving people diet plans, is my point. For some reason, there's a lot of fat people giving people diet plans or health food. There's a lot of them, I'm telling you. You see them, they, put, they give posters and all these flyers. You see these guys, at least 50 to 100 pounds overweight. Healthy food plan. What healthy food? You should use it. You should use it. So that's what the Gemara is pretty much saying. If you're imperfect in something or you're weak in something, don't rebuke other people on it. But the things that you are good in, for sure. You know how to keep Shabbat? Tell people how to keep Shabbat. You read the weekly halacha? Tell people to read the weekly halacha. Meaning, don't teach things that you don't know anything about. That's it. It's common sense. It's not like some huge chidush. Oh, huh? nothing. It's common sense. Don't teach people if you have no idea what you're talking about. If you know something, teach that. Meaning, 
ומלבשתו ענווה ויראה ומכשרתו להיות צדיק חסיד ישר ונאמן ומרחתו מן החטא ומקרבתו לידי זכות ונהנים ממנו עצה ותושייה בינה וגבורה שנאמר לי עצה ותושייה אני בינה וגבורה לי גבורה ונותנת לו מלכות וממשלה וחיכור דין ומגלין לו רזי תורה ונעשה כמעיין המתגבר וכנער כשאינו פוסק ועובד צנוע וערך רוח ומוחל על עלבונו ומגדלו ממורמתו על כל המעשים. בעזרת השם, I'll translate it and we're going to try to complete the Mishnah since we've already done five שיעורים or four שיעורים on it. We'll try to complete the, the whole thing tonight. The Mishnah, Rabbi Meir Balanes, the famous Rabbi Meir tells us, whoever engages in Torah study for its own sake, meaning someone is not only learning Torah for the purity of learning Torah to serve Hashem, but also is learning Torah without any hidden agenda, without any bias, without telling people, I told you so, I know more than you, without having any plans, oh yeah, I'm going to read all this Torah and then I'm going to start writing books and then I'm going to make a bunch of money. Like you're learning Torah because bottom line is, Hashem said you have to. He merits many things. Furthermore, the creation of the entire world is worthwhile for His sake alone. Abimeh says, if you do such a thing, you learn Torah for the sake of Torah, the Holocaust, the Inquisitions, the pogroms, the destruction of the first Bet HaMikdash, the second Bet HaMikdash, the destruction of, unfortunately, so much that's happened to Am Yisrael throughout all of history. The Egel, Azav, what happened in Mount Sinai, Thousands of people died. 24,000 died at the time of uh, Bilam and Arasha. All of that, it's worth it. Why? For one guy that throughout history learned Torah Lishma. Learned Torah for the sake of Torah. All of those terrible things that have happened throughout history, for Hashem says, it's worth it for me to do all of that just for this one person that's learning Torah for the sake of Torah, for him to exist. To such an extent that the Zohar Kadosh says that Hashem will sometimes give a goy or anyone an enormous amount of money to do some crazy project that really makes no sense, like building a tower in the middle of the desert, like these people from Dubai have been doing for the last 30 or 40 years. Why is He giving them so much money? He says, because one day, one of the tzaddikim is going to pass by. And he's going to get hot because it's the desert still. No matter how many buildings you have, it's still the desert. He's going to get hot so he can use the huge building for shade. Meaning billions of dollars are going to be given to people. Why? So they can build a building that in 20 years from now, some Jew can pass, use it for shade for five minutes and go back on his way. That's how much the Torah says, you're the Amanifchal, you're the chosen people. To that extent, a person that learns Torah, the entire world was worthwhile for him. He's called a friend, a beloved. Because he loves Hashem, Hashem loves him. He loves the omnipresent. He loves his creatures, meaning he's not only serving Hashem, but also he's doing everything he can to help Hashem's creation. Go help other Jews. Go help other goyim even. Go help good people. Get closer to Hashem. And not just trying to be selfish and 
egotistical, but trying to do everything he possibly can, not only to serve the, crea- uh, the Creator, but also show that same affection to the Creator's creation. He gladdens the Omnipresent, he gladdens his creatures, he makes Hashem happy, he makes his uh, creations happy. The Torah clothes him in humility and fear of God. It makes him fit to be righteous, devout, fair and faithful. This pure Torah that he has will teach him what real Yirat Shamayim is, what real humility is, where as long as you think you're somebody, you're still a nobody. You want to be somebody in the world? Start thinking like Moshe Rabbeinu. What? Ma. What's Anachnuma? We're nothing. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm nothing next to Hashem, but next to everybody else I'm the best. No, 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 my friend. You're nothing next to them too. Why are you nothing next to them? But you know you're smarter than him. You know you're better looking than him. You know you're richer than him. What, are you going to start lying to yourself? The Ramban writes, Nigeret Ramban to his son. He says, even if somebody is poorer than you, you have more money than them, automatically think, yeah, I have more money, but they're more righteous than me. Meaning, always find something that they're better than you at. I'm nothing next to him. Why? I have a lot of money, but he's tzaddik. He's tzaddik. My, uh, my sins, I, I, have a, uh, I'm, I'm, I learn Torah all the time, but uh, his midot are better. His midot are better. And so on and so forth. Always find something better. Why? Because you have to literally humble yourself and realize that at the end of it all, Hashem is the one that gave you all of the good that you have. There's nothing for us to be proud of if we didn't toil for it. If you learned a lot of Torah and you told for it, you should be proud. But if you're handsome, if you're rich, if you're married to a beautiful woman, if you're married to a good-looking guy, a smart guy, that's nothing to be proud of. Why? Hashem gave it to you. It's like stealing. The Ramban writes to his son, it's like stealing the robe of the king and being proud that you look like the king now. What do you look like the king? You stole the robe. You stole the, it's not your robe. It's not, you're not really the king. So humility, Rabotai, means that we have to humble ourselves under all conditions, not only in front of Hashem, but also in front of our fellows. Assuming our fellows obviously are righteous, not reshaim. To be humble and kiss up to reshaim is a sin from the Torah. Gemara Masechet Zarah talks about how it's a sin from the Torah to kiss up to reshaim. Unfortunately, today it's all too common. This Torah, this purity of Torah, will make him fit to be righteous. Will make him a tzaddik. Will make him devout, fair, faithful. We talked about what the sages said about each one of those uh, words, how to make sure that the person is righteous at all times, even at the time of test, devout, where he doesn't, he's, he's persistent and not just devout for a week and then gets off. Faithful to Hashem under all conditions, not just when it's convenient for him, not just when it's the popular thing to do. And it moves him away from sin and draws him near to merit. Meaning that now his number one mission every day is find different ways to honor Hashem, find different ways to make mitzvot. Most of the time we find our way to make more money. 
most of the time we're looking for more ways to honor ourselves. Someone that's learning to offer its pure form is looking for ways to honor Hashem, looking for ways to make more mitzvot. Where the money comes and one money goes, Hashem worries about that. No one says you should not work and uh, sit there in a corner and uh, wait for, for money to show up. You have to have some type of level of ishtadlut based on your emunah. But your time should be spent finding new and more creative ways serving Hashem. And even if it's during your work, which we'll talk about a little bit more today. People enjoy his counsel, his wisdom, his understanding and strength. With the counsel that he's giving them is going to help them stop sinning. The wisdom that he has with Torah is going to help them fulfill the obligations of Hashem. The understanding that he has will give him an understanding of every single mitzvah and the strength that he has will give him the ability to overcome his spiritual foes, his Yetzirah that he constantly has that never leaves. As the Gemara says that the Yetzirah is like a fly that's sitting on your heart. Why a fly sitting on your heart? Because a fly, unlike any other creation in the world, is not afraid of you. Even the lion is afraid of a human being to a certain extent. Even the lion that's not afraid of anything, he's not afraid of an of a, uh, of uh, elephant. You see a lion, if he's hungry, he'll kill an elephant. He doesn't think too much about, hey, listen, the elephant is uh, ten times my size. If he just moves his foot one way, I'm dead. He doesn't think about that. He jumps on the elephant until he kills him. But a human being, if the human being is suspicious to him, he's not going to attack him right away. He's not going to attack him right away. He has a certain level of fear against the human being. Deer is afraid of his own shadow. All other creatures are afraid of human beings to a certain extent. Except the zvuv, the fly. The fly is not afraid of anybody. He not only comes, he comes in your face, hey, sits on your steak. Three hours you worked on the steak, he sits right on the goes, hey, how are you? Get out of here. He runs away. Two seconds, he's just, it's, he's not running away from you. He's running away from your hand so it doesn't hit him, so you can just go around the hand and come back to eat the steak again. He's got in his way. He's not afraid of you. Because that's Yitzhah. Yitzhah is not afraid of you. Yitzhah is not afraid of you. At all. You shoo him away, you beat him one thing, he's coming back. Shoo him away, coming back. How many times? Endless. Endless amount of times. You watch your eyes here, I'll give you something else over there. You watch your brit over here, I'll give you something over there. You uh, were uh, generous over here, I'll make you stingy over there. He'll try to constantly, constantly torture us in some way or another. That's why in the morning we say in Shachrit, Hashem bless us before our mitzvah and after our mitzvah. Before our mitzvah, so we can actually do the mitzvah. After our mitzvah, so that we, we don't become arrogant and let the Yetzirah take all the schach for the mitzvah. Oh, I'm a tzaddik. I went to uh, Nets this morning. You start telling your friends. Oh, you didn't go to Nets? Where'd you go? Nine? Eight o'clock? I don't even know if you're Jewish anymore. <laughs> well, you went at eight o'clock in the morning? Ah, I go to Nets. I go to Nets. I'm at five o'clock in the morning. I'm already at the shul. Tomorrow I'm going to go at 3, just to le- learn a little bit. You start publicizing to the world that you uh, don't sleep at night. Oh, you learn Gemara? Oh, you don't learn? Ah. Wow. Really? You don't learn? Ah, me skin. Me skin. You don't learn. Wow. Wow, what are you learning? Oh, Ma'am Loez? Ah, yeah, yeah. I used to do that 20 years ago. You make the guy feel like he's a zvuv. He's like a nothing. Why? Because finally you got to something, and you make the guy that used to be you into nothing. That, my friend, is a sin from the Torah. It's better off you didn't learn anything your whole life. 
התלמיד חכם הוא את מידות רעות, נבלה סרוחה טובה ממנו. התלמיד חכם somebody knows תורה, but has bad מידות, dead animal in the middle of the street, is better than him. הגמרא במסכת שבת says, what is תלמיד חכם that has bad מידות? What is he like in שמיים? said he is like a gold ring on the nose of the pig. Gold ring on the nose of a pig? What is it shayach? How is it? What does it have to do with it? So what do you mean? No matter what ring you have, it could be the most beautiful gold in the world with diamonds and bling bling and rims and whatever you have. If it's on a pig, it's disgusting. No matter how much Torah this guy has, if he has bad midot, he's disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. Disgusting. person that has this pure Torah is going to be able to guide people to stay away from sin, to overcome the Yetzirah that keeps coming back. The Torah will give him kingship and dominion and analytical judgment. This is where we finished yesterday. The Torah will give him a certain type of fulfillment and feeling of royalty where he literally knows the instructions of the king. He's not walking around empty-headed like most people. Someone announced a few days ago that they reached their life's goal. Guy was probably in his 40s, maybe 50s, most likely in his early 40s. And he says he reached his life's goal. His whole life, his whole life, meaning his whole life, he could die tomorrow, he reached, he could die, he's, he's dying in peace. He reached his life's goal. Why? What did he do? He broke a Guinness World Record by walking on Lego pieces for the longest amount of time, of distance. 872 yards, he walked on red Lego pieces. He spent hours and hours walking on Lego pieces and hurting his feet. And other imbeciles were watching him and recording him. And after hours of wasting their life watching this fat guy walking on, le- on Lego pieces, instead of walking on and exercising and losing some weight, he walked on Lego pieces hurting his feet. And now he, he could die in peace. That's his life's goal. This is the generation that we're in. This is the generation that we're in. You've reached your life's goal after hurting your feet for five hours. How does, he, how does somebody even think of making such a goal? Oh, you know what? I'm going to walk on Lego pieces. Maybe somebody's going to like record me and I'll go in some book. Like, what kind of record is this? I can understand first guy on, I don't know, on Mars. I can understand a guy that, I don't know, he lifted the most amount of weight. Guy's the smartest. Guy can memorize certain things. Something that requires some level of talent. Some level of ability. But you walked on Lego pieces? Come to my house. Come to my house. You walk on Lego pieces for as long as you're there. Come to, come to any, any house that has children. You'll be walking on, on Lego pieces for 20 years. Not for 500 yards or 800 yards. For 20 years you're walking on Lego pieces. What kind of record is this? But this is his life's goal. Why? Not Torah, Rabotai. If you do not have Torah, all you have is Lego pieces. This is your options. Lego pieces as a life goal or Torah. It doesn't, there's not much room between the two. 
Another guy publicized his screens. This is on LinkedIn, the social network for business, usually. And this guy publicized his desk. And he wanted to show the world his desk. Tens of thousands of people saw his picture of his desk. Why? Because he had something like 20 or 30 or 40 screens. Some odd, strange, ridiculous number of screens connected to his computer. Now, in the trading world, in, in, in the stock market, usually you need more than two, at least two screens. Sometimes four. If you're really uh, a genius of some kind, six. But that's it. You can't look at that many screens anyway. It's just convenience. You don't have to scroll the mouse, uh, mouse everywhere and you can do a bunch of bunch of things at the same time without wasting any time. In essence, the whole thing, the whole key is not to waste time. But this superhero had like 40 screens or 20 screens. And I think, I don't know, I didn't read all the comments obviously, but you saw a bunch of people, just the, the comments that they, they show you immediately, they're all making fun of him. Like, this is a complete waste of money. It's a complete waste of space. What are you trying to show us? What are you trying to show off? There's no way that you're making money with all those screens. I don't even know where something is. And da, da, da. But this guy reached his life's goal. He's probably spent at least fifteen to $20,000. For what? To show the world a picture of his desk. Come, I'll show you my desk. I have a donut on the left. I have the mouse on the right. I have the kids on my head. You know, come. See the Torah, guys? All this nonsense. Empty life. People that are constantly looking for fulfillment through nothing, through nothing. Just stuyot. They want to show the world what they ate for lunch. How many people spend time every day to take a picture of their lunch or dinner or breakfast and putting it on social network? Oh, look what I ate at such and such restaurant. Why anybody cares, I have no idea. But the point is that people still do it. Or they show people, look, I'm going to buy this t-shirt. And they post it on the internet. Why does anybody care what t-shirt you're going to buy? It's fulfillment of an empty space with emptiness. They take emptiness and they try to put more into the empty space thinking that it's going to make a difference. The Torah will give the person the fulfillment that his neshama is yearning for. And it's also going to give him the dominion, meaning the ability to influence his surroundings without constantly chasing attention, without constantly chasing recognition. Simply people are going to be attracted to him or her, wanting and yearning their advice. Why? Because they see that's a pillar, that's something that's stable. It doesn't change with the times. It doesn't change like the weather. His opinion, I can rely on it. Up to here is where we got to yesterday. The Mishnah continues and says, The secrets of the Torah are revealed to him. This is the part that I know Sonny has been waiting for. He likes secrets. The secrets of the Torah are revealed to such a person as learning Torah for its purest form. What does it mean, secrets of the Torah? Secrets of the Torah, in so many words, is the things that are in between the lines. Now we can learn over here this Mishnah, 
and you could fulfill the minag that most keilot have in the world of just reading the Mishnah and literally, and you'll still learn something out of it. You shouldn't do this, you should do this, you should be patient, you should be kind, you should uh, learn Torah. You, literally, if you learn the Mishnayot, literally, you're going to learn a lot of Torah. If you learn Al-Alacha, literally, you'll learn a lot of Torah, no problem. But when someone learns Torah for this purest form, this Mishnah says... He's going to learn some secrets that you're not going to find from the plain form. Other people are going to learn the basics, reading the same two, three, four, five, six lines that you're reading. You will be able to read between the lines. You'll read the same thing, but have a completely different understanding in addition to the basics that everybody else understands. Arava Bremsky says a fascinating story of what he witnessed with his own eyes of the uh, Rabbi Chaim Slovechik. He says that somebody came to Rabbi Slovechik and told him, Kvod Arav, I'm very insulted, the Chevra Kadisha. Very, you know, my, my father died, Shem Yachem, and, uh, but they buried a rich guy that died after my father, before him. And I'm very, very offended. Do something, Kvod Arav. So Rav Stovechik says, one second. He opens the book, looks to a couple of pages, and he says to him, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. The guy, under the horrible condition, was at least satisfied that the Gdola Dol is going to take an initiative and do something about What's happening? Now, Rav Abramsky, who was right there, says, Kvod Rav, what'd you look at? What, what'd you look at? You don't know the halacha. Everybody knows the halacha. First one that, that dies has to be buried first. That's the halacha. Someone dies first. You have to bury him first. Someone dies second. You have to bury him second. That's the halacha. What, what'd you look at? What'd you look at in the book? Rav Stolbechik says to him, he says, I looked. I wanted to see what is more important. What's more important? The fact that he's trying to fulfill a mitzvah and honor his father or that I must rebuke the people that are making a sin. And after I looked at the halacha carefully, I realized it's I have an obligation to rebuke the people that are making a sin. So that's why I told them, I'll take care of it. If you read the, between the lines, you can just tell them, yeah, they're wrong, I'm sorry, what can I do? But when you're chacham, you start seeing things beyond the norm. So much so that the chachamim were literally able to change nature if necessary. The Gemaraim Masechet Chulin says a story that's you've probably heard maybe once or twice in your life, but it's never it's never boring. Kabbalah Masechet Chulin, page seven a, says a story about Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair. Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair does not.
not much about him in the Gemara. But this story is earth-shattering for anyone who does not believe in the supernatural. You know, today we have this thing called rationalists. They call themselves religious, but they also call themselves rationalists, meaning that they try to rationalize all of the supernatural. So even if you look at Kriyat Yam Suf, the splitting of the ocean, where Hashem split the ocean to 12 pieces for each one of the tribes to have their own tunnel, they rationalize it because they saw a program on television on the Discovery Channel that told them that, yeah, maybe there was a tsunami that made this, the ocean split at the right time, at the right place, and that's why Amisad crossed the ocean. They rationalized the miracle. Tkfirah, by the way. But anyway, this story is earth-shattering for them. Why? Because they either have to throw away their rationalization, or they have to admit that they're kufrin, by saying, I don't believe in the Gemara. Just like the conservative and the reform. Why? Because Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair was going to fulfill a mitzvah of Pidyon Shvuim. And he got to a river called Ginai. And this river was a very, very active river, an enormous amount of water, huge, massive river that you simply couldn't cross. Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair says a few words and gets the Sar, the angel, that's responsible for this river to come talk to him. And he says, split. I need to go make a mitzvah. And the angel of the river says to him, you're fulfilling the will of Hashem by doing mitzvot. I'm fulfilling the will of Hashem by being here as a river. Why should I split myself for you? Well, everybody's going to come to me and say split. I'm going to split for them. So Abib bin Ben Yair Oh, he wants to go debate me, go machloket. If you don't split, he tells him, I'm going to take all of the water from the river and you're never going to be able to fulfill the will of Hashem. How about that? The river got scared. The angel of the river got scared, split immediately, like Moshe Rabbeinu. He went to the river and the river went back. The Gemara continues and says, all of a sudden, he turned around and he saw, oh, there was a Jew. There was a Jew carrying all the material for, 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 for Matzot, to make Matzot for Pesach. So he said to the river again, to the, to the angel of the river, no, 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 come on. <laughs> chop, chop, yalla, split for him. He's, making, he's on the way for mitzvah. He's on the way for mitzvah. The river didn't argue this time, split again. He split, it closed up. All of a sudden, an Arab, an Arab guy, Mustafa shows up. He was the helper of the Jew that was carrying the stuff. Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair says, No, come on, come on, split for him also. He goes, but he's an Arab, he's nothing. He goes, no. It's going to be Chilul Hashem. Chilul Hashem if you don't split for him. Why? He's going to say, look, I'm helping the Jews and they don't even split the river for me. 
They split the river. This was an introduction to what the Gemara continued in the Yerushalmi. In the Yerushalmi, Masechet Demai, Perek Aleph, Alacha number three, we read Rabbi Pinchas Ben Yair again is at the river. And he crosses the river, and then a bunch of Torah students see how he split the river, and then they came back, say, hey, Rebbe, Rebbe, can we go through also? Can we go also? Rabbi Pinchas Ben Yair says, only someone that has never hurt or offended another Yid, another Jew, is able to go through this river. But if you have hurt another Yehudi, you hurt another Jew, don't go through the river. It will eat you up. The river will destroy you. Why should he split for you? From here we learn, Rabotai, what the Gaon Mivina said. The Gaon Mivina, who learned Torah, Yomam Valayla, day and night he learned Torah. His whole life he learned Torah. He writes that if a person is in this world and does not fix his midot, there's no point to his life. Yeah, but what about learning Torah? For the Rav, you learned Torah your whole life. The Gaumi Vina says, if the Torah that he learns is not changing his midot, there's no point to his life. He's better off dead. Why? What's the point? He didn't do tshuva yet. Because the Torah is either Sam Chaim or Sam Amavit. It's either going to be something that's a portion of life or a portion of death. If you can use it right, it's a portion of life. Use it wrong, it's a portion of death. But we see here that the Gaumi Vina, Kepshuto, a very simple said, if you're not going to fix your Midot, you're not going to learn Musal, you're not going to take those horrible traits that we were born with and break them into pieces and get rid of them over time, there's no point to your life. You can learn, not learn, it's all the same thing. If you're naturally angry, you have to work on your anger. If you're naturally stingy, you have to work on your stinginess. If you're naturally arrogant, you have to work on it. Whatever your natural negativity is, you know what it is. I don't need to point it. No one needs to point it. Your wife will probably point it. That's why the Torah says that she's like a mirror. She'll tell you. She'll tell you the truth. She's not afraid of you. But the reality is, Rabotai, if you're not going to take those bad traits and start breaking them, start fixing them, there's no point. There's no point to the whole thing. But here we see that this Rabbi Pinchas Ben Yair who, who learned Torah his whole life, the Torah uncovered a secret for him. A supernatural secret. Something that you cannot explain. You're splitting the ocean at will. Some even said, why? This, this, he's like Moshe Rabbeinu, this Rabbi Pinchas Ben Yair. Splitting the ocean at will, even uh, Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't do it that way. 
How? How could you do the thing? We see from Teilim, David Melech tells us that a person that has Yirat Shamayim, in Teilim number 25, verse 14, the secret of God is for those who fear Him. Hashem gives the secret to those who fear Him. But fearing Him just in your heart, but not in your actions, is meaningless. It must be in our actions. Rabbi bin Chazban Yair explained to us in Yerushalmi that yes, you have to learn Torah, but also you have to make sure that you're very, very careful in how you treat your fellow Jew. You're very, very careful in how you treat the Torah. So now people are going to say, wait a minute, this kind of contradicts rebuke. If you're not allowed to ever hurt a Jew, then that means you're probably not allowed to rebuke. Because rebuke naturally hurts, even if it's right. If you tell somebody that a Mechalel Shabbat dies, gets a death penalty from heaven, or a Mechalel Shabbat is considered an idol worshiper in the eyes of heaven, anyone that is himself a Mechalel Shabbat or is related to one, which all of us are one or the other, is going to be offended by it. Unless she's an Ishemit, unless she's a, a man of truth. Why? Because it's offensive. The Torah is offending you here. It's telling you that if you drive on Shabbat, if you smoke cigarettes on Shabbat, if you watch TV on Shabbat, you're considered the same thing as the guy at Chinatown praying to Buddha. You're considered the same thing as the guy in India praying to the cow, bowing to her when she crosses the street in India. You're the same thing as the people that go to a temple in India and pray to rats as they feed it milk in the middle of the temple. Same thing. You're the same thing as the Christian that prays to J.C. Penny because he died for him 2,000 years ago for some strange reason. Same thing. Mechal Shabbat. It's very offensive. So how could you not offend people and at the same time rebuke them? Tough. Of Uben Uh, Kalistin, I'm sorry, says he was very, very careful with offending Jews. One time, he realized that his dri- the driver that took him someplace gave him the wrong change. Gave him $50 less than he was supposed to. When he found out, he told his helper, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, he started celebrating. He says, Kvod Arav, why are you happy? The guy just took 50 bucks extra. Why are you happy? Because, yeah, Baruch Hashem, that, that happened. Imagine that I was the one that made the mistake and I gave him $50 less. The fact that he gave me $50 less and he made a mistake, I could forgive him. I'm forgiving him now, so that means he's not going to be punished in heaven for it. But if I made the mistake and I gave him $50 less, I don't know how to find him. I don't know who he is. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night until I found him. Imagine I made the mistake. Imagine, Chas Vashalom, I heard a Jew. The sages explain the Gemara Maseret Baba Kama, page 23, the Tosfa talks about it. It says that a person must be more careful in hurting other Jews than even he himself getting hurt. You have to be more careful in hurting other people, not to hurt other people, much more careful than you are trying to protect yourself from being hurt. Much more careful. 
This is against human logic. Why? Naturally, we're all selfish. If you're a human being, you're selfish. If you're a living being, you're selfish. All humans are. The Torah is commanding us to do something that's against our own very nature. Torah is commanding us for a normal, day-to-day mesirut nefesh, self-sacrifice. For who? For your average fellow Jew that you don't even know well. You may not even know him at all. You have to be more careful about his kavod than yourself. So with that being said, we just made the complication, the sugya, even more difficult. How do you rebuke people? How do you tell people that a homosexual is considered disgusting in the eyes of Hashem? How do you tell them all these very, very spicy things, khalifim, things that we say on a regular basis in shiurim? There's a book called Chikrei Lev by Arav Yosef Chazan. Allah Shalom, today is his yard site. And Arav Yosef Chazan was one of the Gdolei Ador and he made sure that anytime somebody heard him, anybody, some, sometimes somebody came to speak against him, he would immediately forgive them. On the spot. They came, tell him, oh, you do, 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 whatever I said. Oh, okay, no problem, no problem. Yeah, chazaku baruch, yeah, 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 you're right, yeah, man. But not to the extent of not rebuking them, but only if it had to do with him personally. If it had to do with the Torah... all better off. But if it had to do with him personally, you call him a thief, you call him a liar, you call him a fool, you call him a, you, you, you did this, you used to work on Wall Street, you married a convert, you're a Baal Tshuva, you're fat, you're tall, you're short, you're ugly, your beard doesn't look good, yeah, all the things they said. Baruch Hashem, thank you, thank you, no problem. But the second... The second the Torah came in the way, the honor of the Torah came in the way, everything is different. Why? It's no longer his honor. Rabbi Chaim Palaji, Allah Shalom, writes in Ruach Chaim, Chilek Aleph, Daf 129, about this Rav Yosef Chazan. And he says that Rav Yosef Chazam was even careful in embarrassing the Rishayim. How so? When a big rabbi comes, usually in the Sephardic world especially, the, both the wicked and the righteous all come to the rabbi, they like to kiss hands and ask for a blessing. So because he didn't want to embarrass the Rishayim, the Mechale Shabbat, he would still let them you know, shake his hand, kiss his hand, but he wouldn't give them a blessing though. He wouldn't want to embarrass them, tell them, listen, you're a rasha, you're this, you're that in public. But at the same token, he didn't give them a blessing. Everybody else, if you're righteous, he'll give you a blessing. 
Why is he not giving them a blessing? Well, they're going to give them a blessing so they can make more crimes, kill more people, violate Shabbat more, or live a long life so you can violate Shabbat more, more years. You can't give such a person a blessing. Only blessing you give them is uh, that's the only blessing you give such a person. Someone came to the Baba Sali, a wounded soldier that became, lost his ability to walk. Went to a bunch of doctors, a bunch of surgeries, nothing worked. Everyone said, listen, I'm sorry. Son, I know you're only 23, 24 years old, but you're never going to be able to walk again. The kid got depressed, lost all hope, became suicidal. Ba'minan, ba'minan. A person loses their, at such a young age, you lose the ability of half your body. Can't have kids, can't walk, can't run, can't do nothing. Things that we all take for granted. I sometimes look at people that are relatively healthy and I say, they have no idea what kind of lotto they win every day. If you are able to go to the bathroom naturally, you're able to walk naturally, you wake up with no pain, you go to sleep with no pain, in the middle of the day with no pain, and you don't realize that you have a lotto of a trillion, trillion, trillion dollars, you're a fool, my friend. Unfortunately, most of us are fools until it's too late. Until we realize what pain feels like. This person lost a lot of hope, but he had some good friends. He had a couple of good friends told him, listen, let's go to the Baba Sali. Baba Sali, what's for me and Baba Sali? Ah, I can't walk, can't run. You want me to become Duchu Right now? Because no, come on, what do you have to lose? You went to the doctor, you went to the lawyer, you went to the accountant, you went to the everybody. Nobody can help you. Come to Hashem. Poor guy has not much hope. He comes to the Baba Sali. There was a lot of people, they said, from the story that I read, there was at least 40 or 50 people there, if not more, that witnessed it, I witnessed the whole thing. The kid in his wheelchair rolls over to the Baba Sali, crying, miskin, he's crying for himself, depressed. The Baba Sali looks at him, two seconds. He says, you going to keep Shabbat? The kid didn't know what to say. 24 years old, what do you say? This, 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 Kodesh Kodeshim, he's more modest than any woman in the world, is looking at you, and he's just telling you, he didn't ask you your name, he didn't ask you your address, didn't ask you what your personality is, what do you want, what do you, nothing he didn't ask you. He's looking you straight in the eye, he knows you don't keep Shabbat, he's looking in your eyes and says, you keep Shabbat? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll keep Shabbat. Okay, get up. What? Get up! All the people witnessed, the kid got up, walked for the rest of his life. On the spot. What is he, supernatural? Yes. But we don't call it supernatural. We call it Torah. Why? Because the natural and the supernatural are only people that don't have Torah. The people that have Torah, it's the same thing. The daughter of Rabbi Khalina ben Dosa came to him and says, Abba, I'm sorry. We're not going to be able to light candles for Shabbat. He goes, why not? Because goes, uh, because I made a mistake. I bought vinegar instead of oil. He goes, so what's the problem? <laughs> Abba, vinegar doesn't light. He says, why not? Goes, because vinegar doesn't light. Oil lights for Shabbat. He goes, no, no, no. That's the mistake you're making. The same God that decided that oil will light fire will also decide for the vinegar to light fire. Go and try, and she didn't work. Why? 
natural, supernatural, that's only for people who don't have Torah. Rabbi Yosef Chazan, Rabbi Chaim Palaji explains, says that he was careful not to embarrass even the Rashaim, but still nonetheless, he did not make a sin of honoring them in any way, shape, or form. So long as they did not go against the Torah, and so long as anyone that was going against him, himself, no problem. But he does tell a story that there was one time a chutzpan, a rude, despicable person, which seems like there's many of them reincarnated in this generation, who came to the Bet Midrash with a cup of milk. In those days, there was a lot of poverty, and it was very hard to get milk, kosher milk. And Rabbi Yosef Chazan says that in those days, he says you cannot drink the milk of the akum, of the non-Jews. You can't. Why? We're scared. Maybe it's a, uh, like we were talking about before the shiur. Scared maybe it's coming from a, ca- from a uh, camel, or it's coming from a pig, it's coming from whoever. We have no idea where it's coming from, if it's coming from the akum. The akum, by the way, is a rashet tevod. It's an acronym for ovdei kochavim mazalot. It's idol worshippers. We cannot rely on the milk of the akum, of the uh, of the idol worshippers, which in essence the Torah defines anyone that's not Jewish as akum. By the way, mechalel shabbat is also akum, also same din. If a mechalel shabbat, you look at the alchot shechita, the uh, the the alchot that talk about kosher food in the Rambam. Mechalel Shabbat slaughters a cow, you're not allowed to eat it. It's taref. It's taref. You're not allowed to eat it. Sell it to the Arabs if you want. For 10% of the price. This is part of the reason of why it's expensive to have kosher meat. It's not as expensive as it used to be, but it's still nonetheless expensive. Why? You need to make sure that your employees are somewhat religious. Can't just have any average Mexican working for you slaughtering cows because you're uh, paying them five bucks an hour. So now, Rabbi Yosef Chazan says you're not allowed to drink the milk of the akum. Not allowed to drink the milk of the akum. So this chutzpan came to the Bet Midrash in front of Rabbi Yosef Chazan and all the chachamim. He says, what are you making stringencies on us? Look, this milk is fine. Look, look, it's fine. So what is from the goyim? You see anything different? It's white. No, it's this. No, it's good. No, drank it right in front of all the chachamim. Drank it in front of all the chachamim. Rabbi Yosef Chazan looked at him and said, may the Torah take you to court and prosecute you for embarrassing the Torah and every single part of your body that enjoyed this unkosher milk will blow up just like the sota blows up after after she drinks the wayward water. Within the next 24 hours, it's exactly what happened. Every single body part that enjoyed this milk blew up and he died. What's the difference? What's the difference with yesterday? Two seconds ago, we just said he was uh, scared to even uh, 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 embarrass a rasha. Two seconds ago, we said he, anytime somebody insulted him, he would pray for them. 
Rabbi Chaim Palaji, one of his students, would pray for somebody that would talk against him. Somebody would say something bad about Rabbi Chaim Palaji. He would pray for them. Hashem, forgive them. I forgive them. Don't worry. They're okay. The tzaddikim. They didn't mean it. They didn't mean nothing would happen to them. But if something, somebody said something and Rabbi Chaim Palaji didn't know he said it, then he would get punished. You'd see people get punished in the middle of the street for no reason because they said something three weeks ago. Why? Why all this happening? He says because when it comes to him, to the person himself, nothing. You come to the Torah, it's everything. It's everything. There's no room for error here. I said, there's an halacha, you're not allowed to drink the, the, the milk of the goyim, and you're saying, no, drink it. That means that you're trying to make a new Torah. I said, don't drive on Shabbat. You're saying, no, no, I'm going to drive on Shabbat. I said, homosexuality is not allowed. You say, no, homosexuality is allowed. I say, abortion is not allowed. You say, abortion is not allowed. You're changing the Torah. Torah, may the Torah take vengeance against you. Not me. It has nothing to do with me. But may the Torah take vengeance against you. Why? Because now, it's a big chilu Hashem what you're doing. This Rabotai is the reason why we do what we do. For all those that are still asking for some strange reason, this is the reason why. If it has something to do with me personally, I generally don't make, don't talk about it. There's a few people that have made fun of me, more than a few people that have made fun of me in the last few days, in the last few years. I generally don't talk about it. What do I mention to you guys? Any time that they say things that are against the Torah. If you're saying something against the Torah, if somebody does something against the Torah, it's a different story. Why? Because that's something that you're obligated to defend. You're obligated to defend the Torah. If you don't defend the Torah, you're worthless. But this all stems from serving Hashem. You want the secrets to be revealed to you, you have to, at the very least, show that you have a little, an ounce of Yirat Shemaim, an ounce of honor for Hashem and His Torah. And if you're not going to defend the Torah against people that are openly wicked, openly against Hashem on a regular basis, when are you going to defend it then? When are you going to defend it? The Mishnah continues, posik. This person that learns Torah Lishma becomes like a steadily strengthening fountain and like an unceasing river. Chachamim explained that the Emunat Shmuel say that this, what is this analogy that they're trying to give? Is that the person that learns Torah for the sake of purity, his chidushim, his teachings, his learnings will succeed in the test of time. They'll stand the test of time. What does it mean? The Gemara in Masechet Pesachim says that Am Aretz, as he gets older, he becomes a bigger fool. A person that's ignorant, doesn't know Torah, as they get older, you start seeing them become bigger fools. They start acting like babies. You have to babysit them. You have to change their diapers. You have to constantly deal with their attitude, with their strange words, strange curses, strange attitude. Very, very uncomfortable to be 
next to an old man or old woman that never learned Torah. Very uncomfortable. Because they have no stop sign. As they get older, they can become more vulgar sometimes, more racist, more all of the things that they had the whole time that during their younger days, maybe they were able to like control to a certain extent. As they get older, they stop caring and they become really, really uncomfortable to be next to. Many of them lose their mind, dementia, and other types of diseases that make a person lose their mind, lose their memory. They don't know who you are one minute, the next minute they're hugging you and kissing you. But a Torah scholar, if you notice, the Gdolei Ado, although they had physical issues like all of us, and for the most part drastically worse than all of us throughout their entire life, because it's part of their Mesirut Nefesh and their Yitzurim, that they even bring on themselves, as far as their mind is concerned, you see the Torah fulfilled and the biggest Kiddush Hashem in the world being fulfilled. When you see an old scholar age and you see that he actually gets sharper with time. Arab Shalom was sharper in his last days than he was in his early days. Knew more in his last days than he knew in the early days. Same thing with all the other big major rabbis. Unless something drastic happened and they died really quickly, whether it's because of a stroke or something like that. But in general, you see for the most part, as the Chachamim age, the Gemara is being fulfilled, and they literally become sharper with time instead of duller, like the average Amaretz. So you see that their Torah stands the test of time, not just figuratively speaking, but literally speaking but also their ideas. Anyone that will take a little bit of time and learn Rambam, that was written almost 900 years ago, 850 years ago approximately, or you learn the Gemara, approximately 1600 years ago, or you go to Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, or uh, Proverbs, or you go to Song of Songs, you look at the Midrashim, Shlomo HaMelech, or you go to Tehilim, his father, David HaMelech, or you go to the Chumash, Wherever you go in the Torah, 800 years ago, 900 years ago, 1500 years ago, 3000 years ago, 3300 years ago, wherever you go, you're going to find that what was said then is not only relevant today, it's even more relevant today than ever before. The truth stands the, 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 the test of time. And in fact, just like a river gets stronger, so does this Torah. The Tiferet Israel says, even further, says that if you notice, on one end it says that his Torah, he becomes steadily like a fountain. When a fountain produces sweet, refreshing water. But on the other hand, it's not much. It's not much water, it's a fountain, it's a little fountain, it's sweet water, it's delicious, but it's not that much. On the other hand, it says also, it's going to be like an unceasing river, it's like the strong river of Ginai, that we talked about for Rabbi Bin Hasben Yail. Strong river, it's a lot of water, but usually the water is it's not so good. It says someone has pure Torah, it's both. Meaning it's a river, 
of pure, delicious water. His Torah will continuously come more and more and bigger and more relevant and more people are going to listen and more people are going to show up and more people are going to do tshuva and more people are going to do good things and more people are going to actually come back to Hashem. Why? It's pure. The Midrash Shmuel elaborates further and says this specific part of the Mishnah is also talking about the character traits of this person. His personality, his conviction. Because just like a spring constantly grows stronger and can overcome anything that seeks to stop its flow, a true Talmit Chacham does not allow any evil influence to stop his spiritual progress. If you're learning Torah for the sake of Torah, it doesn't make a difference what everybody says. If you're fulfilling Torah for the sake of Torah, it doesn't matter what your neighbor thinks of your Kisui Rosh. It doesn't matter what the local rabbi said about such and such, that's this or that. What's the truth is all you care about. What is God's opinion? As Rav Tovia Singer Sheikhia says, what did God say? What did God say? Everybody else, yeah, it's yesterday, no tomorrow. What's God's opinion? That's all I care about. What is God's opinion? Because if you care too much about people's opinion, it'll never end. Their opinions change like we change underwear. Their opinions change like the weather. Their opinions change based on what it says on the check. Their opinions change with the stock market. The purity of Torah will lead a person to be ovetz He'll become modest, patient. This person that's attaining an elevated spiritual level can easily fall into the Yetzirah's trap and become arrogant because of it. But if his Torah was learned and taught in its purest form, Rabbi Meir Baranes says here, that Tiferet Yisrael explains to us, Rabbi Meir Baranes is teaching us that when somebody studies Torah for its own sake, his qualities will continue to improve, they'll become more modest and more righteous as a result of it. And a lot of the big things that he does or she does, you'll see that no one will ever hear about. Only Hashem will know about them. Why? Because even their actions become modest. What does it mean their actions become modest? If you look at the Shuchan Aruch, it talks about, I mentioned it to you guys maybe a few weeks ago, the halachot of how to act in the bathroom. One time, there was an esped for somebody that died. There was a lot of big rabbis there. And one of the people started saying something. Oh, he was tzaddik, he was yashal, he was this, he was that, he was tzanua. And one of the big rabbis says, hey, stop, 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 hold on a second, hold on, stop, you stop, okay, I know we're in his funeral and everything, but hold on a second. How do you know he was tzanua? How do you know he's modest? You went, in, you, you went in the bathroom with him? You went to the bathroom with him? How do you know he's tzanua? How do you know? Everybody's shocked. 
But that's the truth. Why? Because Shukhan Aruch says, someone has to be tsanua, somebody, a woman, a man, has to be tsanua, has to be modest, when? Inside the bathroom. There's laws of how to be inside the bathroom. So don't start calling people tsanua, tsanua. Why? Because maybe he wore a long dress. He wants to look like the people from Morocco. Or he wore a turban because he wants to look like he just came from uh, Iraq. That doesn't make him tsanua. I want to see his actions. Torah wants to see his actions. As he publicizes his actions, as he publicizes chesed, as he publicizes mitzvot constantly, he's constantly talking about things he did, or he's modest even in his words. The Chachamim don't allow people to just give and spare a different type of uh, eulogy on somebody and just create words for no reason. At least not the ones from the previous generation. Today, everybody that died is tzaddik, kadosh, everything. You would think that Moshe Rabbeinu is dying every day today. But this pure Torah is going to make the person modest and patient. And also forgiving of insult to himself. Meaning that when a person studies Torah for its purest form, they get to such a level where even when they're insulted, they don't insult back. Somebody calls them something, a name, a fool, a heretic, a this, a that. They don't go back and forth. They're not children. You're not necessarily obligated to listen to it, but you're not going to go back and forth. Remember I told you, I think yesterday or the day before, some woman called me after she made a bunch of complimentary comments on one of our videos. And she called, and immediately she started insulting me. And I, I was waiting for her to say something that made sense. And after she told me that she has a lot of friends there and a lot of friends there, and she used the word like 700 times, I asked her, what's, okay, so you know, what, what, what does she want, so on and so forth. But she continued insulting me. Like every third word was an insult of some kind. Oh, I don't know this, and who are you, and who are you. I said, listen, I'll listen to what you're saying, no problem, but stop insulting and stop yelling at me. I'm not your child. But if you don't, I'm going to hang up on you. Most people know I don't usually hang up on people. But she got hung up on about 30 seconds later. Why? She didn't stop. We continued communicating for another hour, but it was via text. It was via text. Why? Safer conversation. Safer conversation. Some people, you can't talk to them in person. You can't. She could, tell, she could send me 500 texts with insults. doesn't make a difference as much. But to hear somebody constantly yelling at you like you're, you know, and then chastising you and calling your name and so on, and it's like, who are you? Like, what do I have to listen to you for? So you don't, you're not obligated to listen to people that insult you. But the key is not to return the insult. That's the key. She can call you 500 names. Don't call her even one back. They hear themselves being degraded as the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 88b says, but they don't reply in kind. They forgive those who insult them because they don't want them to be punished for degrading a Torah scholar, the Midrash Moel says. But the Avot Al-Banim says that Rabbi Meir, 
is talking about here only personal insults, as we said. He's only referring to personal Ill insults. Because once the insult is to a Torah scholar or to the Torah itself, it's a completely different matter. A, a true Torah scholar must react swiftly and forcefully with all of his power to defend the Torah or himself if he's a Torah scholar. If they insult you, they call you all types of names, that's one thing. But once they start telling you, no, you're allowed to drive on Shabbat, you're allowed to change the Torah, you're allowed to this, you're allowed to that, then you have to respond forcefully. Because then it can become by simply being quiet, it's in essence you're agreeing with them. And if you're agreeing with them, it can become a huge chilul Hashem. They can say, listen, I, uh, after I yelled at this rabbi, and I told him you're allowed to drive on Shabbat, after a while he, wasn't, he didn't respond. So obviously he knows I'm right. He didn't even respond. Look, I sent him five recordings, I told him everything, and he didn't even respond. So obviously I'm right. So you're allowed to drive on Shabbat all of a sudden. He uses this as an asmachta, as like a, a proof that you're allowed to violate the Torah. No such thing. You're not allowed to do that. You have to defend the Torah. If you're not going to defend the Torah, what are you going to defend? Your, uh, your, uh, your car in the garage? What are you going to defend? Last but not least in this uh, Mishnah, it says, Umegadlo, umemoramto, al kol The Torah makes him great and exalts him above all things. This Torah itself comes to Hashem Barach. The Torah, the angels that he created out of every single letter of the Torah that he learned, whether it be in the Gemara, or it be in the Parasha, and in the five books of Moses, or it be in Teilim, every single letter that you read from the Torah is a mitzvah that creates an angel. Every single one. The Torah will eventually come to Shamaim and tell Hashem, she wants more for you. The Torah itself becomes a prosecutor for you. The story goes, one time this guy that didn't really spend much time learning Torah, fulfilling mitzvot, only once in a while when it was convenient, got himself into a little bit of trouble with the king. The king sent a decree. You have to show up at the court, and if you lose the case, it's death penalty. So immediately, he calls all of his powerful friends, his lawyer, doctor, accountant, stockbroker, insurance advisor, politician, power broker, president of the U.S., president of, uh, of Islam, president of Hamas, president of Israel, all the people he calls Tell him, listen, it was fun to help you and do and have a drinks with you and so on. But we can't help you here. Can't help you here. He says, yeah, but I spent my whole life with you guys. I spent my whole life with you guys. What do you mean you can't help me now that I need you? We're sorry. We're friends, but now you're in trouble with the king. It's not for us. It's not for us. You got a deal on your, on your own. Sorry, buddy. See you on the other side. Ooh, you know. 
the sound of a somebody hang up on you. At least in the old days. Today it's simply silence. So Miskan, what does he do? He goes to his family. Even though he spent less time with his family than he did with his friends, still he has his family. His family says, listen, uh, yeah, we care about you, but we're not going to go inside with you. The best we can do for you is we'll take you to the castle. But as soon as we get to the gate, you're on your own. You're on your own. You're on your own. We're not there. We're finished. No, but come on. I spent my whole life with you guys. Listen, you keep talking. We're not going to go at all. Okay, 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 okay. I'll take what I can get. Take what I can get. He's scared. The guy is so upset. He's so depressed. He said, all my friends, all the guys, all of this, we had this, we had fun, we had this. They can't even show up for me. My own family can't even show up for me. Who's going to help me here in this case? I have a case with the king. What am I going to do? All of a sudden, he sees a phone number of someone he hasn't talked to in years. What's the... So I'll talk to him. Hey, 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 how you doing? Hey, how are you? Long time. Hey, listen, I heard you're in trouble. I heard you're in tr- Yeah, you heard? Yeah, 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 I heard you're in trouble. I'm coming. I'm coming. What do you mean? You're coming? Really? I'm going to defend you. you know, how are you going to defend me? He goes, I wrote down every single good thing you've ever done. I have a little book. He goes, are you serious? Every single thing you've ever done. I have a little book. I wrote it down. I'm going to come. I'm going to talk to the king for you. We're going to take care of this together. He was really going to do it for me. Because, yeah, who else would do it? Of course I would do it for you. You're my brother. I love you. I love you too. Like, he, he forgot his name. I love you too, though, he says. Why? He's the only one talking to him right now. They go to the king. He talks to the king. He goes, listen, your highness, I think you made a mistake. I th- I, listen, with all the cola kavod, your highness, you're the best. You're the, uh, I love you. But I think there's a mistake here. Why? This guy's a sadiq. Look, I have in a book. One day he did Netilayadayim. One day he did this. One day he did that. He keeps the car to the homeless guy. He did this. He did this. Look how many things he did. You're going to punish somebody like this? The king says, if you have such a strong attorney, such a strong friend, uh, you must, there must have been some type of mistake. That Rabotai is the mashal. The nimshal is the friend's is the money, the material, the physicality we spend all of our lives chasing. All day and all night, we're constantly trying to figure out of more ways to make money. Maybe I'll sell some stuff on eBay. Maybe I'll trade some stocks in the market. Maybe I'll do some Forex. Maybe I'll rob the bank, but no one's going to see me. Maybe I'll steal from my company. Maybe I'll make an insurance fraud with UPS. Maybe this, maybe that. People are constantly coming up with new schemes. To constantly bring more and more money into their life. More and more material to their life. More Amazon boxes showing up in their life. More stuff, more stuff, more stuff. But one day when the day of, uh, they call you up in Shemaim, your Amazon boxes cannot help you, my friend. The drinks you had at the bar are not going to help you. The girls you went out with are not going to help you. Your trades that succeeded in the stock market and the Bitcoin that went up and then went down and then went to hell is not going to help you. They're all going to tell you it was fun while it lasted. See you on the other side. The family is the family. 
as much as they love you and adore you and you're wonderful and you yell at them once in a while and they yell at you sometimes, and the end of it, the best they can do is take you to the funeral. Take you to the door of a Bolet Barach. You're about to meet the king. We cannot come with you, I'm sorry. We have our own lives to take care of. You do you. We love you. It was good while it lasted. Best we can do is take you to the funeral. You keep complaining, we're not even going to that. The only thing that can help you in front of the king is the Torah and mitzvot that you fulfilled. Because the Torah and mitzvot that you fulfilled has been standing next to you the whole time, writing down every single mitzvah that you've been fulfilling in a book. As Shlomo HaMelech says, Ayin ve'ozen shomat. There's an eye that sees, there's an ear that hears. And everything is written in a book. Who is it written in a book? What book? It's your own personal Sefer Torah. We read about Avraham Avinu, Yitzchak Avinu, Yaakov Avinu, Moshe, Aaron, David, Shlomo, Shaul HaMelech, Shmuel Navi, Kodesh Kodeshim. We forget there's another Sefer Torah. And you're the main actor. You're the main one. You're the only one. What's it going to say in your book? Is it going to say in your book that you pretended to be some big tzaddik, but in a closed room you're a rasha merusha looking on things on the internet? Is it going to say that you donated money just to get kavod? Is it going to say that you rebuked only the wrong people? What's it going to say? What's it going to say in your Sefer Torah? Because that's the only thing that's showing up in Shemaim for you. That's the only thing that's showing up in Shemaim for all of us. Before we go against the Torah, we have to realize it's the only thing that's going to defend us. Before you're going to start making sins, or go against people that are trying to help people do mitzvot and stop making sins, realize you're going against the only thing that's going to defend you. Your family's not going to help. Your keilah is not going to help. Your money's not going to help. Nothing is going to help you other than the Torah. And if you desecrate the Torah by befriending the homosexuals, befriending the sinners, befriending the reshaim, you're not going to have any defense. Because your entire Torah is going to be empty of mitzvot. Only it's going to be full of is wicked things. And that's why every single speaker, every single rabbi that wants to go and speak against us and want, has to think for themselves. Is this keilah that I'm so-called defending? Are they going to come up to me in Shemaim? What are they going to do for me? What are they going to do for me? The only thing that's going to defend me is the Torah and Mitzvot. It's the only thing. You don't defend the Torah, you have nothing to defend you. Nothing. Nothing to defend you. This Rabotai is why the Torah here says that you have to defend the Torah under all conditions because the Torah is what's going to make you great and above all things. Above nature, above the natural. If you're not going to defend it, then there's no point. There's no point to anything. 
This is why also in this week's parasha, parashat Chayi Sarah, despite the fact that Avraham Avinu just saw the love of his life die, it says he cried a little bit. He cried a little bit. He spent an enormous amount of money buying the Ma'arat HaMachpelah in Hebron. And it says, V'adonai berachet Avraham bakol. Hashem blessed Avraham with everything. The pshat is, the simple meaning is, that Avraham became wealthy beyond his imagination. But not just in this world. Eternally. It says in the Torah, Hashem says, I love Avraham. He's my lover. I love Avraham. Why? He protected my Torah. He protected my Torah. I knew he's going to... I knew. And I know that Avraham not only fulfilled the Torah, he taught it to his kids. He brought Torah to his kids. He protected the honor of the Torah. I love Avraham. And that's why I blessed him in this world and the next. You want to have blessing in your life, people are constantly looking for blessing. Constantly looking for blessing. The reality is that a person needs to defend the Torah under all costs. Sometimes defending the Torah would mean that you're going to have to rebuke a loved one. Sometimes defending the Torah means that you're going to have to listen to rebuke. Now, there's a big question, and we'll finish with this sugiah, this chidush. It's worth about 10 million, but we'll take five if you guys want. It's amazing chidush that the Gemara brings that you never really think about. Why did Amram was Kodesh Kodeshim, one of the four people in history that never sinned. Still, nonetheless, there are three other people, like Benjamin, for example, that never sinned also. Why did Hashem decide to give Amram, who is Kodesh as he was, he wasn't the only one that didn't sin, there was three other people. One of them was the son of Shlomo, also. And one of them was the father of David HaMelech, Ishai. Gemara says four people never sinned. Amram is one of them. Who is he? Father of Boshe Rabbeinu. But why did Hashem decide that I'm going to give Amram a present? What present? I'm going to give him a son that is going to receive the book of truth, the book of wars. What is it? The Torah. I mean, imagine... You have a son. One day he's puchi, puchi, puchi. You're changing his diaper. The next thing he's Moshe Rabbeinu. This is honor for eternity. Imagine how Amram looks in Shemaim. Yeah, my son's Moshe. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's my son's Moshe. Like, wait, it's my son's Moshe. His son's Moshe. Like, imagine you have a son. Your son is like Moshe Rabbeinu. Does it get better than that? It doesn't get better than that. Why did he get such a huge... Reward. Sahabi again says, I love a shalom. Think about it. 
Technically, there wasn't supposed to be a Moshe. Technically, there wasn't supposed to be a Moshe because Paro Arasha was killing the kids. Every little firstborn baby that was a boy, he killed them. So Amram, who was Kodesh Kodeshim, Gdolador, went to Am Yisrael, Bnei Yisrael at the time they're called, says to them, listen, why are we going to have any more kids? It's Rasha Merusha, Paro is just going to kill them. I'm getting divorced. I'm leaving my wife, Yochevet. So at least what... We can't be together anymore. If we can't be together, we're not going to bring any kids. That's it. At least Paro Arasha is not going to kill anybody. Makes sense. Makes sense. All of a sudden, a little three, four-year-old, little girl, named Miriam, his daughter, still with the binky. Abba, 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 Ken, Abba, you, you, you're worse than Paro. What? Abba, you're worse than Paro. You're telling the biggest rabbi in the world, prophet, Kodesh Kodesh, he never made a single sin in his life. You tell me he's worse than Paro, and who are you? You're his daughter. What did Amram do? Did he give her a nice chapcha to the right and left? What did he do? He did something that none of us could do. What did he do? He listened. He says, honey, Biti, my daughter, why am I worse than Paro? Why am I worse than Paro? Why? It's because Abba, Paro is a Rasha. You are a Tzadik. So Paro, he has a Gzera, he has a decree. It doesn't necessarily have to come true. But you are a Tzadik. You have a Gzera, it has to come true. Hashem says, Tzadik makes a Gzera, I fulfill it. He had a Gzera to kill the firstborn babies of the boys. It doesn't have to come true. You made a gzerah to not have any more kids. It has to come true now. So now there's not going to be any more kids. Paro is a rasha merusha, but only he's only killing the boys. He's only killing the boys. You, Abba, you made a gzerah that you're divorcing Ima, and everybody else is going to follow you, but now no one's going to have any more kids. So now you're killing the boys and the girls. Imagine you're getting rebuked on the head. And she's right, but she's only four years old. What do you I mean? Me, I tell you the truth, me. I tell you, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I had a chidush. I had a chidush. It came to me, Ruach HaKodesh. I was wrong. What am I telling my four-year-old rebuke me, Sarah? So my little Sarah rebuked me. What embarrassment am I going to have? You guys are never going to look at me again. Amram was not like this. He's not a loser like me. What did he say, Amram? My daughter rebuked me. The entire world for eternity knows that his little three, four-year-old daughter rebuked him and she was right and he listened to her. He says, you want to get a thousand bucks from each side? Go go do a shiduch from Hima. Go call Hima. You have to do a shiduch, thousand dollars from each side. No, 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 come on. Give me an house allowance money. You're, you're the gdolador now. You're right. He listened to his little daughter. He says, you're right. Let's do a shiduch. I'll marry Hima again. Because he listened to the rebuke, and not necessarily care who the rebuker is. He only listened to the truth because it was true, not because of where it came from. Hashem says, you listen to the truth, I'm going to bring the truth through you. Who? I'm going to give you the son that will receive the book of truth. Who? Moshe Rabbeinu. Next son, Moshe Rabbeinu. 
If it wasn't for him listening to the rebuke of the three-year-old girl, there's no Moshe Rabbeinu, Chas Shalom. Am Yisrael will be still in Egypt till this day, 3,000 years later. If he did not listen to the rebuke of the three-year-old little Miriam, Am Yisrael does not leave Egypt. No Torah, no meat, nothing. To listen to the three-year-old girl, because Emet, you listen, I'm going to give you the son that will be the vessel of Emet for eternity. So that's the Chidush, part one. What's part two? What does Miriam get? What does Miriam get? Well, she can tell people, oh, my brother is Moshe Rabbeinu. That's nice. What does she get to say? Oh, yeah, listen, uh, Hashem made the water, you know, travel after, uh, you know, Am Yisrael for 40 years because of me. That's nice. She's a prophet. That's nice. But there's something else. What did Miriam bring to the world? She brought them the truth. She brought Moshe Rabbeinu. She brought Torah, right? But ultimately, she brought salvation. But Hashem wanted to give her a big gift. You brought the first part of salvation. I'm going to give you the last part of salvation. In the Gemara in Masechet Sota, page 11b, says that, Uman de'amar bate malchut, David namimi miriam ke'ati. The Gemaraim Masechet Sota, page 11b, says, And the one who said the houses of royalty was referring to David HaMelech because he also came from Miriam. As it says in the Pasuk, when Azuva died, Kalev married Ephrat, who bore him Chul. And this Ephrat is actually a reference to Miriam. It was another name for Miriam. This is in Chronicles 2.19. As it was written, David was the son of an Ephratite man. Here we see the secret. Secret is, Rabotai, having a brother like Moshe Rabbeinu is amazing. But it wasn't enough. Why wasn't enough? Because mitzvah goreret mitzvah. And the schar mitzvah is mitzvah. The reward from mitzvah is another mitzvah. What's the mitzvah? Miriam. You rebuked your father. You didn't care that you were only three, four years old. You didn't care about the punishment. You didn't care about anything. You cared about the truth even at a young little age. You brought, through you, we brought Moshe Rabbeinu, but it's not enough. We're going to bring Rabbi David HaMelech. We're going to bring the Mashiach through you. And the Mashiach Tzidkenu that's coming very soon, he's going to have both of their Neshamot. Moshe Rabbeinu is Neshama, and David HaMelech, the Nitzot of both Neshamot, are going to be in Mashiach Tzidkenu. That's Miriam. Why? Because of a rebuke of a three-year-old little girl. Rabbi Karim. Defending the Torah is not a chore. It's not an obligation. It's everything. You don't do it, you're simply out of it. There is no other choice. It's either servants of Hashem or people that are against Hashem. That's it. The classifications people call themselves, 
like I said in the beginning of the shiur, is irrelevant. What are you doing? Are you serving Hashem and His Torah? Like the Torah said, and not like your opinion said? Ashrecha. Ashrecha v'ashrecha kecha. You'll get rewarded in this world and the next. Bezat Hashem, this will give us chizuk to serve Hashem fully, even when it's not convenient, even when it's painful, even when it's difficult, even when it's uncomfortable, even when we're alone in the world. And the only thing we have to rely on, as the Gemara in Masechet Sotah says, Ze'avinu she'bashamayim. Any questions? Same place. Five million, we're going to PayPal. Okay. And uh, so Leah and Rachel. Rachel was childless, Leah was having children, and she kept uh, taunting uh, Rachel. Um, and send the message to lead her to prayer and, and uh, Hashem giving her children. Okay. But, uh, that taunting part, it's, uh, it bothers me a little bit. You're mixing a different story. Uh-huh. It's not Leah and Rachel. Oh. It's uh, two other uh, two other Nashim Ketoshot talks about it, I believe, in the Gemara Masechet Brachot. Uh, there were two other women in the Torah. One of them uh, was uh, was crying that she couldn't have children, and the other one had children, had ten children. And the actual punishment was that Finally, when Hashem answered our prayers, every time a child was born to one, one died for the other. Ultimately, until she actually adopted her last two sons, she told him, get, take my last two sons because they're dying. Mm-hmm. Meaning that to hurt another Bat Yisrael is a very, very harsh thing in Shemaim. Uh, the issue that happened with uh, Rachel and our sister, Leah, uh, was different in a sense that Rachel did her chesed for her sister in secret. Meaning she didn't tell her that Yaakov really wanted to marry her. When she gave her the signs to pretend like she's the one, she didn't tell her the details of who, what, when, and how. And she didn't tell Yaakov. So Yaakov, who was in a completely dark room with her on the wedding day, did not know that he's actually not with Rachel. He did not know until the next day. And after it was the next day, after he already made relations, that's it. There was no turning back. You made a wife. You made a wife. That's actually why, believe it or not, the Chachamim say that when somebody, when a Jew is intimate with another Jew, uh, technically they're considered uh, married uh, husband and wife. Uh, it's a problem. There is even a machloket where some Chachamim say that you should get a get because this, because that. Overall, the opinion is that there's no need for a get. It's just promiscuity, which is a sin of itself. But there's no get needed. But nonetheless, the, the act of intimacy in Judaism is very, very significant. The point being is that when it comes to the mistake that was made um, where when Reuven brought uh, flowers, I believe it is, and Rachel wanted it, his mother wasn't too fond of that. She says, what, you stole my husband, now you want to steal my flowers too? Because in her eyes, she didn't realize that Rachel, her sister, did her a favor of a lifetime 
And she thought that uh, really she, she was supposed to be the only wife. She didn't know there was going to be another wife, especially not her sister. So she thought maybe she's trying to steal her. And the reason for that is because of Rachel's righteousness. It wasn't because Chaz Shalom Le'a was wicked. It was simply because she didn't know. She never exposed her what was actually happening. She never told her this. In, behind the scenes, in reality, Yaakov loves me. Behind the scenes, in reality, I'm supposed to be his only wife. Behind the scenes, everything. Because the act that Rachel did was not a natural act for a human being to make. Why? Because the way it was supposed to be is that whoever marries Yaakov, the other one, that would mean that the other one marries Esav. So when Rachel gave up the marriage to Yaakov, that means that she knew her reality at that moment was, I'm going to marry Hitler. Not only am I giving away Yaakov Avinu, not only am I giving away Kodesh Kodeshim, a Sefer Torah, not, not only that, I'm go, instead of getting the Sefer Torah, instead of getting Yaakov Avinu, I'm getting Hitler instead. I mean, you have to be out of your mind. So it, to explain such a thing, who's going to believe you anyway? So the whole time her sister didn't know. But that's also why the Midrash says, the Gemara repeats, that after the Hashem started punishing Am Yisrael at the Churban Bet HaMikdash, Moshe Rabbeinu came to him and started praying for Am Yisrael. Hashem didn't listen. Avraham Avinu came and prayed for Am Yisrael. Hashem didn't listen. Yitzchak came. Hashem didn't listen. Yaakov came. Hashem didn't listen. When did Hashem listen? When Rachel came. When Rachel came, she told him, Hashem, look, I understand they cheated on you. I understand they went against you. But look, I gave up everything for my sister. I never said a word. I never complained. I never, nothing. You don't see me crying. If I can do it, you can do it. Hashem says, to you I'll listen. Why? Because you did something that's supernatural. You did something supernatural. You understand my pain. It's not that she, the whole time, she told, listen, in reality, he's my husband. In reality, he's my husband. Back and forth for 25 years, 30 years. No. She never knew. Just like we're going to learn in Parashah in a couple of weeks, that Yosef HaTzadik never ever told Yaakov what actually happened. Meaning that the brothers sold Yosef. Yosef was gone for 22 years. Eventually, Yaakov and family and 70 nefashot all come to Egypt. They stay there for 17 years. Yaakov is alive for 17 more years. Throughout the 17 years that he's there, throughout the 17 years that Yaakov is there, Yosef is the viceroy, he's the king, he's everything. And his father is the honor of, he's his father, he's as giant as it gets. They can do whatever they want. They're together, they can learn, they can this, they can that. The Torah says, that at no point did Yosef ever spend a moment alone with Yaakov. He always had somebody else with him. He'll bring one of his sons constantly. Why? So Yaakov doesn't talk, ask him something that's a personal question. Like, what actually happened 22 years ago? What happened? Did they, like, what, what happened? Where did you go? How did you get lost? Who, what, I saw blood on a... Uh, piece of uh, clothing. I thought it was you. Like, what happened? 
Did somebody bite you? Let me see the scar. What happened? He never actually gave him the opportunity to ask. Why? Because Yosef was Yosef a tzaddik. Why Yosef a tzaddik? Not only because he protected his bleed, but also because he never ever said a single bad thing about his brothers, even though he was entitled to. He was entitled to say something bad about them. But even when they came to him and he says, no, no, we're sorry, we're sorry, we did it. He goes, why are you sorry? You didn't sell me. You didn't do anything bad to me. Hashem did it. Hashem did it, not you. You didn't do anything. Wait, you maybe tried to do something bad, but Hashem had good for me the whole time. You did nothing. There's nothing for you to say sorry about. So the act of the righteous is not just doing something righteous. But like we learned today, velvet sanua. Be modest about it. Be, be, you know, keep it to yourself. Don't publicize your big mitzvot. The only thing that you publicize the mitzvot to publicize is when you complete more Torah. You write a book, you finish a masechet, you finish some type of uh, the shas, things like that. Why? Because that gives people the, uh, the, 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 the chizuk that they can do it also. That they can do it also. But other things, like if you donated money, or you did some type of kindness for somebody else, don't bring that up to people. There's no, there's no, there's no mitzvah there, and in essence, if you get any kavod, you end up losing most of the uh, reward that you're going to get in Shemaim. So yes, the midot are clearly important, but the key is to know when and how to use each thing. There's a time to be modest, there's a time to be uh, zealous, there's a time to be... Uh, uh, even uh, a little bit of uh, um, arrogance is necessary at certain times. When is arrogance necessary? When you're leading people, the Gemara says you're supposed to have one-eighth of arrogance. One-eighth. Not full arrogance, because that will make Hashem hate you. But one-eighth of it. Why? Because if you don't have some type of like power behind you, no one's going to listen to you. No one's going to listen to you. Say, oh, you just, who is this guy? Who's going to listen to him? So you have to have a little bit of oomph. You have to have it. Next question. The fourth one was the son of Shlomo. I believe his name starts with a K, but I don't remember it fully. Starts with a K. Ganeden? Alive, you mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's more, but yeah. Actually, one of them we're going to talk about uh, next week. One of the people we're going to talk about that went to Ganeden with his clothes on, alive, is uh, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, he was one of the students of Rebbe, and uh, he went to Ganeden alive. Went to Ganeden alive. As a matter of fact, uh, he's a large part of the information that we know about Genom and Ganeden comes from him. A large part of the supernatural things that are in the Gemara are always associated with him. So uh, we'll learn about him next week in the next Mishnah. Tomorrow night we have a shiur in uh, Hollywood. Uh, please RSVP. Is it a gated community also? So it's a gated community, so RSVP, ASAP. It's on the flyer. Uh, it'll be a different type of shiur, similar but different. It's, it'll be a lot of uh, stories about supernatural things, what's supernatural, what's real, what's fake. Um, 
How does it affect us? Can we do the same thing? I know Sonny wants to find out if he could uh, start making ocean split next week because that would be good for, 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 for business. Uh, but anyway, there's a lot, a lot of interesting things about the su- supernatural world, uh, which we covered a little bit today, but there's even more. Baruch Hashem, the Torah is endless. There's even more we'll cover tomorrow, Bezad Hashem. Uh, and uh, Baruch Hashem, we finished this Mishnah. We finished this, uh, this one. Next week we'll start a new one, Perek Bet, uh, with Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, that uh, says, Bechol yom vayom, bat kol yotzet me'ar chorev, and it continues. This uh, Mishnah says, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says, every single day there's a heavenly voice that emanates from Mount Horeb, meaning Mount Sinai, proclaiming and saying, woe unto them, to the people, because of their insult to the Torah. <laughs> it's not my fault these Mishnayot are scary, right? This is what it says. But no, there's a lot of wonderful things to learn from it. What does it actually mean that there's a voice coming? Is there really a voice? Does anybody actually hear it? If nobody hears it, is it really coming? You know, things like that. There's a lot of really interesting food for thought types of things in this next Mishnah. Be'ezot Hashem. Ba'uch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.